Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Beyond Grit with me, Robert Young. So today is a special day. Today is my one year anniversary of starting my podcast. You know, I really can't believe that it's been a year already. I've been grateful to have spoken with so many great people over the last year. I've had entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, athletes, etc. So many different people from so many different areas of life. It's been um, overwhelming. It's been so much fun. You know, I wanted to create something that would tell a person's life journey, their struggles and their triumph, their thought process along the way. Plus, I wanted to show others that they're just people just like you and me. They have families, hobbies, struggles, successes. It's been a great journey, and I'm thankful for all those that have been with me since the beginning. What I tell people and what I took from guests on this show. And I know that this isn't something crazy, but you know what? It's all about getting 1% better every day. 1% better every day, you know, and stop telling yourself you can't and start believing that you can. And it's those little tiny steps every single day. It doesn't matter what it is. Do you want to be a better person? Do you want to be more loving? Do you want to create a business? Do you want to work towards a goal in your life? Well, you don't have to enter that thinking that by the next week, you have to be the best at it. And it's just like this podcast. From the very beginning, it was a little bit rough. It got a little bit better. And hopefully it's, it's evolved over the past year. Um, this upcoming year is going to be exciting. I want to have different guests on here. I want to have coaches on here. I want to have people that just inspire other people to be great and to take that first step to where they want to be and that first step to the life that they want to have. So, I mean, it's going to be great and, and I'm looking forward to it. So, you know, like I always say, sit back, grab a cup of coffee or whatever drink makes you happy and listen to my first guest on the show, my man, Chuck Norris. You guys have a fantastic rest of your week and I'll see you next week. Most stories of success usually focus on a person's highlight reel. In this podcast, those people will share what goes on beyond the curtain. You'll hear about their wins and losses and how those experiences created their grit and determination. There's no such thing as luck. Welcome to Beyond Grit with Robert Young. Hey, everybody. So I'm sitting down with my buddy Chuck Norris, owner, CEO of Fayetteville Marksman uh, Hockey Team. How you doing, Chuck? I'm great, Rob. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, thanks for sitting down uh, with me today and, and kind of chat about your life and uh, how you've gotten to where you are today. So um, I know that you grew up like a town away from me in Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. And so what, uh, what got you to North Carolina? Well, yeah, like you said, well, one, one thanks for having me. But two, uh, yeah, I grew up just outside of Detroit, suburbs of Detroit bounced around a little bit all over the suburbs there. And then um, I uh, joined the United States Army at the age of 18 and, um, you know, went down to Fort Fort Jackson and a couple different posts for some training. And then I ended up getting stationed at Fort Bragg, which is um, in North Carolina, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and 
I spent um, 20 years living in Fayetteville, not all in the military, but then um, I moved over to, you know, just outside of Charlotte um, shortly or, or about 10 years ago. So I've lived in um, North Carolina for the better part of 30 years now. Okay. What, um, so as a, uh, when, when you went into the, the military, was that something that that's what you wanted to do when you were a kid growing up? You know, it's probably what I didn't want to do most. And, um, I ended up doing it and probably more as a, as a last resort kind of thing. You know, when, when I was getting out of high school, my home home life wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had a stepmom and, you know, I lived with my dad and my stepmom. And, and quite honestly, I think my, my stepmom was ready to just get me out of there, you know, to be honest. But, um, you know, my, my choices were slim. I didn't have a car. Um, so it was my options were get a job and pay rent, mm-hmm. go to college or join the army. And so, you know, I didn't have a car, so I wasn't going to be able to get a very good job with no car. And there was not much walking, you know, walking distance away. And, and college really wasn't an option because I didn't have any money. And so, yeah, yeah I joined the military almost out of a necessity. And, and quite honestly, man, thank God that I did, because it probably gave me the guidance that I really needed at the time to get my life together. Yeah. I mean, at, at 18 years old, uh, you know, we thought we knew everything, but we were a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> absolutely. I was That's almost on the same correct. path, you know, uh, yeah. and uh, it was one of the things where my parents moved down to Florida and I was going to go with them. And, uh, you know, my dad wanted me to um, work in the window cleaning business with them. I was like, I don't want to work in window cleaning business. And uh, yeah. that's a story. And uh, but it led <laughs> me back to Michigan. And I was kind of like you. I was I didn't know what to do. Um, I didn't have any money to go to college and I was working and I almost, I was probably a day or two away from, I was going to join the army and you know what, it probably would have been really good. Like you said, um, to help lead you on that path. How long were you in? So I was in almost five years Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it, it, um, it was a difficult decision and I think I knew, you know, right away when I, when I got there to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to Fort Jackson, you know, I, I was talking to some guys and I was wearing my, you know, wearing like a Pistons jacket or something. Oh, actually, I think I was wearing a Michigan jacket and, mm-hmm. you know, had a, had a monster sized mullet. And, you know, <laughs> that was, that was the thing back in the late eighties. And, um, and I remember talking to these two guys and we went through the line and we were getting our haircut, which, uh-huh. you know, contrary to popular belief, those haircuts, one, you get no options on the style that you get. And two, you have to actually pay for that haircut. So the army does not cut your hair for free. Oh my God. Yeah. That miserable haircut they give you, (laughs) you have to actually pay for that haircut, man. (laughs) Oh, I I never knew that. Yes. Yeah. See, a lot of people don't know that. I did not know that until I had to pay for the haircut. So Um, but yeah, you go through the line, man, and you're talking to these guys and everybody looks normal. And then you come out on the backside of the line and every, you don't know anybody because now it's just a bunch of bald guys standing around and nobody knows each other. They, everybody looks totally different. Uh It's actually pretty hilarious, but I knew pretty quickly after I saw my first paycheck when I was in the army, that that probably wasn't going to be what I wanted to do for my life. But, um, the good thing about it was it, it definitely put my life into perspective and, and it made me know like, 
what I didn't want, you know, and, you know, making 500 bucks or 600 bucks every two weeks was not what I wanted to, to be the, uh, I guess the end result of, of my work and my yeah. life, you know, so it was great. I, I, I love that I did it and I was proud and, and honored to have been able to serve. And, you know, it was a, a great start for me and it taught me a lot and, you know, got me to my, to my next things in life, you know, so it was, uh, it was good, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I never look back on it and think, man, that sucked. I mean, it was hard and there was a lot of things in there that, uh, that were tough and difficult, but, uh, um, you know, I think I went into the military, not very confident about myself or my life, but uh -huh. you know, as, as you, as you spend time in and you start to see success in certain areas, your confidence builds over time. And, um, one of the biggest things I take away from, from my military career is, is, um, that I was given, I, I think that a lot of people excel when they're, when somebody believes in them. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think anybody really truly believed in me to include myself leading up to a time when I finally had a first sergeant and, and people in the military that believed in me and trusted me. And that enabled me to start believing in myself and get confident and um, be able to take bigger steps in life, you know? So yeah, um, yeah man, it was a, it was a great experience, man. It really was as difficult as it, as it was, it was, it was an, you know, once in a lifetime experience that I'll never forget and I'll always cherish it. Yeah. And that was probably, a, that had to be a pretty pivotal moment when, when people started believing in you and, and building you up and gaining that confidence. Um, oh, a hundred, hundred percent, man. I mean, that, I think that at the end of the day, you know, people are more willing to take chances when they have more, more self-confidence. And, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily something you can teach somebody. It's mm -hmm. almost like they have to, they have to get confident based on successes. And if you can have small successes that slowly step you up into bigger successes and more successes, then you become more and more confident and more and more secure in yourself and, and with who you are. And, you know, at some point you'll hopefully be successful in life. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of been what I've been doing, you know, just trying to just take baby steps one thing after another. And, you know, I well, feel pretty good about where I've ended up. Yeah. I mean, and that's good for people to know, you know, that it, it doesn't come, you know, you don't go from step one to step 10. It's, no. <laughs> it's steps forward. Some, some years you have big steps forward, maybe a, a couple stumbles back and some years you just have some small steps forward, but as long as you just kind of keep, keep moving because nothing's ever a sprint forward. It's all, it's, it's an up and down and well, yeah, to to add to what you're saying, I mean, you're exactly right. And I, I think the younger I was, you know, when I was very young and, and probably you, you as well, the younger you are, the more easy you think it is. And then you start to realize that it's not a sprint. It's a, it's a, it's a marathon, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's adding steps each day and each week and each month and year. And eventually you'll look back and you'll be like, Holy smokes, man. Like, look how far I've come because you almost don't even realize when, when it happens, you know, it, it happens so slowly that, you know, you just look back and you're like, wow, man, like I'm pretty successful. And yeah. it takes a long time. But I think the thing for me is that what I did was I, I never 
jumped off the ledge. You know, I always took something like, let's just say with my military career, after I got out of the military, I, I had saved a little bit of money with a buddy of mine. And um, we decided we were both going to go to, I was going to go to college. My mm-hmm. goal was I was going to go back to Michigan. I was going to go and I was going to become a lawyer, right? That okay. was what I was going to do. Well, so my buddy, Mike was um, a guy that I was stationed with. We were both in a special forces unit. So, um, he was a really solid guy and, uh, his goal, he was going to go move up to Virginia. He was married and, you know, go get a job at some chemical factory. So I talked him into, Hey, listen, man, let, let's, let's try to start this company. And it was at the time car audio and electronics was really big. So that's what we were going to do. And, um, it was just kind of something I was into a little bit back then as my early twenties and it was the late eighties and early nineties. And, you know, car audio was huge back then. So, yeah. um, I said, let's just try it. You know, worst case scenario, it fails. And, you know, we, we go on, we've already got these experiences from the military. We know we're going to get jobs. We know like the worst case scenario, I could have become a police officer and, you know, got on a SWAT team or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. so that was the worst case scenario, which was, you know, an admirable job at at that. Like that's huge. So I was like, man, I'm in a pretty good spot. I can do that worst case, or I could go to school or I could be successful in business. So we did this little business and After about a year or two, I realized that I wasn't really feeling as much anymore, but Mm -hmm. I continued to do it until I found something better to do. And so I... I decided I was going to try to buy out this guy from this furniture store because I was doing some due diligence about his business and realized that, man, this guy's making a lot of money. Right. So uh, I, I wanted to go and, and get in the furniture business with no experience at all. I was just kind of, I was just passionate about business in yep. general. And so, um, we ended up buying the guy's furniture store. And so, Mike and I, by this time, we already had two car audio stores. So he was on one side of town. I was on the other side of town. And then we bought this furniture store. So what we did was we put management in place, mainly salespeople in the furniture store. He and I would run our each car stereo store during the day. Mm -hmm. And at seven o'clock, we would close the car audio stores, race across town. And Mike and I would load up all of the day's deliveries or all of the sales from that day. Our, our, Our thing was that we deliver same day. So no matter if it was 7 p.m., 8 p.m., midnight, 2 a.m., we're delivering your furniture today if you buy it. And that's pretty rare in the furniture business. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we would race over there. We would load up all the furniture, jump in the furniture truck, and me and Mike were the delivery guys all night until it was done, man. And it didn't it didn't matter if we were delivering until 2 a.m. or if we were delivering until 11 p.m., you know, yeah. whatever we had to do to make it happen. And so Once we were able to finally get the furniture business solid to where I was generating, you know, a pretty good amount of revenue and and able to be more profitable with that business, then I was able to step away from the car audio business and sell the stores, you know. So we sold them to a guy that worked for us. We had basically taken the two stores, consolidated to one big store, and then we sold it to the guy and he was making monthly payments, which that's a whole nother story where, you know, we got we ended up getting shitted at the end. Uh, <laughs> didn't yeah. get all the money, but you know, at that point I didn't care, you know, yeah. I was already moved on to bigger and better things. And then, you know, one thing led to another. So I was in the furniture business for a few years. I was successful in the business, did, did well, worked my butt off. And, now was this um, all in Fayetteville? Yeah, this was, this was all in Fayetteville. Okay. Absolutely. And so, you know, I worked, I worked an endless amount of hours. And I think the one thing that, that separated myself and Mike and our work ethic from other people in our 
industry, whether it be the car audio industry, the furniture industry, was that our mentality was to work until the job is done. It didn't mm-hmm. matter if it was nine to five, nine to nine, Monday through Sunday, 365 days a year, seven days a week, holidays. It did not matter to us. Whatever day a week it was, um, and you wanted to give us your money, then we were going to be happy to take it and happy to work for it right there on the spot. And a prime example of that is one night I was I was installing a radio and some speakers in a guy's car. And like our, our car stereo store was up on Bragg Boulevard. And it was after the clubs closed. It was a Saturday night. And uh-huh. this guy drove by and he was on the payphone, if you can remember payphones. Yeah. yeah. So the guy was on the payphone. He's like, hey, man, what are y'all doing? I said, I'm installing a stereo system. Oh, is that what y'all do here? Uh-huh. And the guy came in. I drew this guy up a system. He left the car there right right on the spot. He had his girlfriend come and pick him up, left the car there at three o'clock in the morning. And, um, it was like a 30 something hundred dollar system, which was a lot back yeah. then, you know? So, um, the guy took off and we stayed all night, put in all his stuff, got it all done. And he came, picked the car up Sunday afternoon and we were done with it. So, um, that's, that's what you have to be willing to do, at least in my opinion, to be truly successful in business. You have to be able to do whatever it takes to get the job done. So at 3 a.m., I'm selling car audio st- stuff on Bragg Boulevard in Fayetteville um, and, you know, taking people's money, man. And and quite honestly, that's what has enabled me to be successful. So yeah. Um, yeah. same thing with the furniture store. And and the other thing is being being willing and able to work seven days a week, 365 days a year was one thing that I would attribute to my success. And the other thing is is kind of like what I said earlier, being able to work until the job's done, no matter what. You know, you just keep working until until you're done. Yeah, and that's it. So there's no, oh, I'm kind of tired, and you know, it's it's five oh one, we're out of here. Right. Like, no, man, that's, yeah, that's not the way it works in the real life. So, well, um, that's that whole, you know, you, you, you listen to Gary Vee, and that's the whole thing that he tries to relay to people, and it, that's the time that you're you're eating. S H I T like that's, that's what you, you've got to do. And yes. And at that time it didn't matter to you. It was like, that, cause it was a passion in you and yep. this is what we're going to do. And this is cause I'm not going to let anybody down. Yeah. Especially the customers. Yeah. The customers yourself, your yep. parents, right. At the end of the day, like, you know, I think like, like most young boys, you you know, um, even though my father and I at the time probably didn't have the greatest relationship in the world, we, we did eventually and we do now, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think my dad, when I was a teenager, man, just couldn't wrap his head around what I was doing, you know? And I think a lot of parents are the same way. Like, look, I got a 14 year old kid and I scratch my head every day wondering like, what is this guy going to do, man? He's lazy. He doesn't want to do stuff like, but I was probably exactly the same way. And so my dad was having a hard time relating, but with all that being said, you know, deep down inside, right. You're, you're, you're a guy, you want your father to be proud of you. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I think that drove me a lot too. the, 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 I, I don't want to let my dad down. I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to fail. You know, like all those things are things that drive me personally. And, you know, what are people going to think, you know, and it's not so much what are people going to think? It's what are people that, that I care about going to think it's yeah. not so much the random Joe, you know, Joe's walking around. I don't, I don't really care about them, but you know, what's my wife going to think? What's my dad going to think? You know, like, come on, man. Like, 
yeah. you gotta you gotta be able to push yourself and and realize that you, there's other people out there that you don't want to let down at all and so that kind of was always something driving me as well and i'll give you a prime example of that i was in jump school <clears throat> and like army jump school is not easy school you know it's mm-hmm. not it's not the hardest school i ever went to by any stretch but it certainly was hard at the time you know i was a private and then i went to ait and then i went to jump school all right right in a row so jump school had been the hardest thing i had done up until that point and um man like they want you to quit that's really what they're trying to do they want to they want to just make it really hard and make your life difficult and get you to quit and um I think the quitters mentality is something that's almost impossible to break when you make a decision in your mind to quit. But luckily I was able to do that. And here's how I I was, you know, struggling and I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I, we were going through a mock door and the guy jumped out and then he didn't get out of the way. And I jumped out and landed on his foot and like twisted my ankle, man. And let me tell you, I was dying. You know how like you turn your ankle over and it's, it feels like it's broken, but it's not. So I went and sat down and I'm like, you know, man, F this, right. I don't, I don't need this crap. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm out of here. And, um, I had that in my head and then I was getting ready to go up and tell like, you know, the black hat, which are the sergeants in charge that, you know, I'm out of here. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. My legs tore up, you know, and I was looking for an excuse basically at that point, looking for an excuse to get out of there. And then on my way to like, start to walk up there, I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to call my dad tonight and tell him I quit. And I was like, okay, did a U-turn, went and sat back down, just, you know, collected my thoughts. And I'm like, okay, there's no way in hell I'm going to call my dad and tell him I quit jump school. There's no way. I'm either going to get these jump wings or I'm going to die going out of this airplane and I'm getting the wings. There's, there's no way I'm not doing this. And so at that point, I just, I took my boots and I loosened, I, untied the top of it and just started wrenching on it, tightened it up as, as tight as humanly possible. Cause I knew if I took my boot off, my leg would blow up and then I wouldn't be able to walk. So yeah. I just cranked it as tight as I could. And I went and, uh, we went and did our first jump that day. And, you know, five days later, you know, you jump once a day for five days in a row, it's jump week. And then, uh, you get your wings, man. And my dad was coming to my graduation, which was that Friday. So he had already planned to come down with my grandfather. So, um, and my grandpa was in the first test platoon back in the forties. It might've even have been in the thirties, man, but when they were first testing, um, parachutes and, uh, so it was like, okay, I already know my dad and my grandpa are coming. If I got to call my dad and tell him I'm not doing this, like, man, this is going to be rough. So, uh, long story short, like I, I pushed myself to, to make it through that. And that was the last time I ever was going to quit anything at all without succeeding. And so it was almost like I, I broke something inside of myself. And I think that was like a, you know, something that, that was my quit mechanism. Uh-huh. I was ever anytime after that, like quitting was never an option. I never, ever was going to quit anything in my life after, oh after my God. that. Man. I mean, so it was, it was crazy, but it was like, almost like I had an epiphany, like, you know, the pressure of, of telling my dad that, and you know, the fear of the failure and, and embarrassment was yeah. something that drives me for basically for the rest of my life after that. So yeah. No, that's, it was interesting. that is an interesting story. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, there's so many different things and factors out there that drive people. And, uh, and that was, that's a big one because 
No. Nobody likes, you know, to quit. And they, and at the army, they probably made it pretty easy. Like, okay, because if you're going to oh, yeah. quit that easily, <laughs> we don't want you here anyways. So well, that's exactly right. They don't want people to be doing that, that are soft or that are mentally weak, you know, and, and quite honestly, up until that moment, I was a little, a little weak, you know, and they, they forced me to break through another another ceiling, I guess, so to speak, in my own mind. And listen, man, the, the human mind is a very, very powerful thing. And, you know, like, and you know this, and most people in life, I, I guess maybe a lot of people don't realize how powerful your mind is, but um, your mind can can really help you to overcome almost any obstacle in, in your way, man. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's incredible, man. But that was my, my, epiphany moment where I was, you know, finally pushed to something that, that I had to break through. And after that, like I had many, many difficult times in the military, like, you know, man, I was in a special forces unit. It it was hard. You know, you're with a lot of alpha type personality men and uh, there's no women in in that unit at the time at all. So it was all alpha males. So you got to figure out how you're getting your, your, your spot at the bowl, you know, so to speak. And, um, you know, it's tough, man. It really is tough. But you just you realize when I look back on the jump school thing, I realize how how small that was. But because, you know, you end up going through things that are much, much, much more difficult later years later. But that was the thing that gave me the ability to kind of keep pushing through all that stuff. And um, yeah, man, it was That's uh, awesome. It was, it was it was an interesting experience for sure, man. And being around those guys. You know, being again, being around all those A type personalities, man. Like you, you have to, you have to figure it out quick because it's it's not about failure because it's never an option. You know, I mean, yep. you fail in those situations, and unfortunately, people get killed. And you yeah. know, those units are uh, they're tough, man. They really are tough. And yeah, it was good for me. It, it helped me realize that you keep working till the job's done. You, you failure is not an option. You know, those were the things that were really, uh, forced onto me and, and instilled in me during those years in the military. And I would say I, I credit that with all of my success in life. So that's you know. great. So what did you do? So, so now, you know, that, I mean, that, that was a fantastic story on how that totally changed your life. And then, mm-hmm gave you the the wherewithal and the the mental strength to to go after it because did you go to college at all no so you just went out and we're gonna start stuff and we're gonna start businesses yeah and um you know listen like everybody else in life rob they think that they think that it's going to be easy or there's a quick way to do this and the get rich quick thing. And quite honestly, man, I had that mentality when I got out of the army, I still thought that I could quote hit a lick right, right out Mm -hmm. of the army. And I was going to make a a ton of money and I'm going to be rich and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, is that that's not really out there. And the quicker you get that through your head, that life is a grind and being in business is a grind and you're going to have to work really hard to be successful, the better off you'll be. And, you know, for me, I didn't have that mentorship from really from anybody. So all of my business acumen, anything I've learned in life has almost been self-taught or through, you know, guys that I served with or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. um, my dad wasn't a real prominent 
person in my life. And, and, you know, quite honestly, like he didn't really, he didn't teach me a lot and, yeah. you know, and, and it's not really a slight on him. I, I, I think honestly, like he didn't teach me a lot because his dad didn't teach him a lot, you know? Yeah. So he basically was, you know, just doing the same thing that he was taught or the way he was raised. And, you know, honestly, I, I, I think about those things and I try to be a better parent than my parents were to me, but, and that's kind of the goal. I think every parent wants to do more for their kids than their parents did for them. And they think about the things they wish they would have had. But, you know, if my dad was going to teach me anything, I, I, I certainly wish he would have taught me more about life in general and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's not easy, man. It, no. It's a grind and, and you got to put in the time and the energy and the effort to be able to succeed and you know if you're willing to do those things then the sky's the limit right yeah so, it, it's it. it's funny when you talk about parents and you know the way that the parents were you know like my grandparents to my dad and the way that that they were and mm -hmm. and then your dad to you and he's probably like uh you know I, i'm making this better and as right. the son you're like oh my god like Oh, I'm going to do better than that. And now I'm right. going to spend time. And my dad, you know, nicest guy, um, worked his, that was his life. You know, he worked mm -hmm. and worked and worked. And, you know, I wish you know, growing up, I had more time with, sure. with him, kind of like you were talking about, you know, like, like life. But his was, yeah. his was like, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to take care of my family. And that's what I do. And that's right. what he does to this day. He retired for like a day and he's like, mm, I'm, I'm going back to work. So he works at one of the Ace Hardware stores down, you know, a couple blocks oh, yeah. from his house. He's like, I just want to go in. I want to, I want to work. That's yeah. what I do. That's yeah. his hobby. Yeah. That's his hobby. Um, so, so now, um, what brought you into, um, the, the construction business? So, yep. So that that's a, another interesting story, right? It all goes back to my dad, right? So mm -hmm. um, I was in the furniture business. I was doing well out of the car audio business. And like when I say doing well, I, I was making about $60,000, $70,000 a year. And this is in the in the mid-90s. I was like a 25, 26-year-old kid. I was doing pretty good. pretty good. I thought I was doing yep. pretty good. So my dad was in the construction business and hence I wanted to be like dad. Right. So mm -hmm. now I want to get into the construction business. And I was always interested in construction and I was interested in, in looking at a piece of dirt and turning it into something. So I told my partner one day, I was like, Hey man, I think I'm going to go over to the community college and sign up for a construction class or something. I just want to go do something else, you know, mm -hmm something else to add to my life. So I did. And I went over there and I took the licensing um, class or the preparatory class for getting your general contracting license in North Carolina. And um, so I went and signed up for it. And he's like, yeah, man, I think I'd like to do that. So he did the same thing, signed up for it. We went to the class together and, you know, it was good. Um, it's kind of funny. I mean, I've got so many, so many crazy stories, man, that have changed things in my life. But, um, so we took the class and at, at the end of the class, you, you find out that in North Carolina at the time you had to have $12,500 in the bank in order to be able to sit for your exam. So you had to have $12,500 of what they call working capital in order to get your license because in North Carolina's mind, and, and this makes a lot of sense, 
what's the point of you having a license if you don't have any working capital? Like basically you're just going to get yourself in trouble and there's no reason for you to be taking on construction projects if you don't have any working capital. Well, I didn't have at the time $12,500 in cash. I mean, that's a lot of money. So um, my business partner borrowed the money from his parents and I had asked my dad, hey, listen, can I borrow the money? I just need to put it in the account for a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll get it certified, and then I'll give you the money. My dad's like, oh, I don't know. I, th- I think my dad didn't believe me, to be honest with you, because <laughs> it seemed kind of like BS, right? Yes. Like, why would you only need the money for a couple of weeks? So he didn't give me the money. Well, okay, fine. So my buddy Mike got the money from his parents. He went and sat after the exam. He got his license, and boom, he's off and running. Well, he, he and I had an agreement like, okay, whoever gets their license first, then we'll just build on that license. And at the time I was thinking, yeah, we'll be business partners and in pretty much every venture. Well, he got, got his license and I was like, okay, well, what are we doing first until I can get my license? He's like, well, man, I don't want to risk losing my license and, <clears throat> and, and let you do anything because it's too hard to get it. So mm. you just need to get your own license. So I was like, whoa, uh, okay. Uh-huh. So now I've really got a fire under my butt. Yeah. Right? So now, now I'm like, not only did I not get the money from my dad, now my business partner of a few years has kind of turned his back on me a little bit. And so now I've got the, I'll show you mentality even more than I've ever had. And so, man, let me tell you, I grinded it out, buddy. I figured it out. I worked my butt off. I saved money. I scrounged. I dug up that 12,000 bucks. I got it in my bank account and I went and took the exam. And, you know, once, once I finally got my license and I got it on my first try, it took me almost a year Okay. To, to, to grind it up. So my buddy over here is off and running. This is the guy that didn't even care about construction, but now all of a sudden he's off and running in the construction business while we're still doing the furniture thing. Uh-huh. And I'm at the furniture store like, wow, this guy's out living my dream and, <laughs> I, <laughs> and I'm not even doing anything. So anyways, man, it was a, uh, another moment in my life that really pushed me to, to take another perspective on thing on things and what it did was it told me like man you can't count on anybody besides yourself and yeah. as much as i wanted to be able to count on my dad to give me that money and you know i look back on it i'm like i'm glad he didn't give me the money yeah. i mean because yeah. it just made me stronger because of it i'm glad that that mike did what he did and went and got his license and went on his own and didn't include me in it because it made me stronger and it made me more determined to do what i wanted to do so um i got my license and i got in the construction business and i i stayed at my furniture store and um I built one spec house. I went to the bank. I got a loan to build one house. Mm-hmm. I made a couple thousand dollars off it, but you know, I really pushed it hard. And so I did the first house. Then I went back to that bank and I said, Hey, can I do two houses? And they're like, you know what? All right, we'll let you do two. Well, I did two. And then I went back and, and I'm still at my furniture store. I went back and I said, Hey, I want to do, I want to do four. And the guy was like, no, I'm not going to let you do four. You can do two more. And so I went to another bank and the guy was like, yeah, I'll let you do two. So I got two from this guy and two from this guy. And I didn't let either one of them know that I was doing two with the Uh other guy, obviously. Yeah. And so I did four houses. I had four houses going at a time and Man, and the rest is history, right? Like as as you get in the construction business, the natural evolution is go from I'm a builder and I'm building one or two spec houses to now I'm doing 10 at a time and um, I've got a, a good line of credit to now I want to develop my own projects. So now mm-hmm. I'm looking out, I'm looking for raw land and I'm 
you know, buying 20, 30, 40 acre tracks of land and putting in all the infrastructure and doing my own thing. And all of this happened in like a 10 year span. So I had the furniture store for quite a while. And then eventually <clears throat> what happened was, is the furniture store was successful and we were still making good money with the furniture store. And actually we were making really good money. We had moved out of the location that we were in um, that was a rental piece of property. And then we built our own prop, built our own building. We mm -hmm. bought our own property, built our own building. And um, we were doing really well, but um, I was doing really, really well in the construction business by this time. And quite honestly, man, the, the work of dealing with 20 plus employees at the furniture store to make, I don't know, like a hundred thousand dollars a year, which was great money back then. Um, or I could be in the construction business, building these spec houses and making a million dollars a year. Yeah. And not dealing with all of the day-to-day -day drama that I was dealing with, with running the furniture store and all the employees and them calling in sick and all that stuff, you know, it just made me want to get out of the furniture business. So one thing I would say is I always had something better and I had that running very well before I ever got out of anything else. So I made sure to to make sure that I was very stable in the furniture business before I got out of the car audio business. I was very stable in the construction business before I got out of the furniture business. And that's kind of been my, my MO moving through my entire career. So, um, yeah, I was, I was developing my own land and building 40 to 50 houses a year before I ever got out of the furniture business. And, um, you know, once I got out of the furniture business, I took that property that I had over there and I still own that property today. And I just, I rent it out. So it's a okay. commercial property that I, that I have leased out. And, um, you know, I've had some good tenants and some knuckleheads. Yeah. And so, it, you know how that goes when you've got property and you're renting it out, man, you're all, you never know what you're going to get. So, um, that's been a, a, a bit of a trial, but, um, as far as that goes, like that's kind of the, the progression of, of how I got into the construction and development business. And I did that for the better part of, you know, almost 20 years. And, mm -hmm. um, in 2010, I decided I was going to take it easy. My kids were getting old, um, around school age and, you know, I had, I mean, that's a whole nother story, but I wanted to get out of there in order to get my kids into a good area so mm -hmm. they, so they could be in schools. And that's kind of why okay. I, I don't want to say I got out of the construction business, but I semi-retired basically at that point. Now with the, um, the furniture store keeping that, were you and Mike still running the furniture store? Yeah. Okay. And once I got my license and started building, I think, um, I kind of understood, more of his his mentality of mm -hmm. not really wanting me to to get on his coattails with the construction business. And once I got into the business myself and did my own thing, I felt much better about it. And, okay. and I understood it because let me tell you, man, your builder's license is basically your license to make money. It's how you make a living. So if there was a time where I did something unscrupulous or he did something unscrupulous on my license, like, man, you could lose your license. Right. And so you have to really guard that thing with your life, you know? So I don't allow anybody to, Hey, Chuck, can I use your license to go pull a permit on something? Like, there's nope. no way, man. Like, no that's, way. That's out, you know, like, it's um, as strict and by the book as humanly possible for me with that. And I would never risk it. And I understood why he didn't want to risk it as well. So, I mean, we got along great after that and we had a great partnership, man. We made a lot of money together and, you know, we served together. We've been friends over 30 years and oh, we good. still talk to each other pretty regularly today. So, That's good. Is he yeah, still, yeah. is he still building out there? 
He is. He he even retired for a while uh-huh. there, and um, he uh, ended up getting back into the business. And now I think he's looking to retire again. So okay. Mike's um, Mike's a, a go getter and a hustler, man. And the guy's made you know millions of dollars over the years, and and you know real similar story to mine. And yeah. he's he's awesome, man. I mean, good. he really is. He's, I know. he's real successful, and he does a good job. I can't because when we move down here, you you either have it in you or you don't, and. I, I don't really have it. That's probably one of the things from my dad. Like I, I can't sit around that much. Like I, I've got to be right. doing something. And you know, when we moved down here, I, I didn't have to go back to work. I could have stayed sitting around and raising the kids and, but it's not me, man. And like, right. it, even when <laughs> we, we look at, you know, um, with Nicole retiring one of these days, We'll, mm-hmm. we'll sit around for a little while, but it's, it's off to the next thing, you know, it, yeah, there'll be something yeah. else. Um, there'll be something for sure. Something, something that'll be, that you'll be passionate about. And mm-hmm. listen, man, at the end of the day, like people are passionate about what they're passionate about. I'm passionate about business in general. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm more passionate about any business in particular than the other. I'm just passionate about being successful in my businesses, no matter what it is. And, you know, I wish I was passionate about other things, but I'm really not. Yeah. I, I don't have a ton of hobbies. I, I've, you know, I've played poker for a while. I've raced motorcycles. Like there's all things that have been, um, that I've been passionate about for a very short amount of time, probably until I was somewhat successful at it. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, onto the next thing. But, um, business is the, the thing that I'm probably most passionate about. And, and I am always looking for, for things that, that are going to be the next thing that I want to be involved in. And, you know, that kind of is what led me to the hockey thing, you know? So I wasn't, I wasn't really all that passionate about anything besides my, my family. And I was kind of sitting around um, and uh, yeah, this opportunity presented itself to buy this team and Mm -hmm. I ended up doing it. And, you know, in hindsight, uh, yeah, I probably should have did a little more due diligence, but it is what it is, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, well, you guys bought the team when you when you acquired the team. Was that in eighteen? Uh, twenty seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they were they were kind of a kind of it was kind of a shit show back then, wasn't it? With the hockey team. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I will give you the cliff note version of that, man. And uh, let me tell you, yeah, it was a disaster. Yeah. I mean, it was it was basically an unmitigated disaster. Um, I had called the guy that was running the team about, I don't know, a year before. And I was just kind of kicking the tire. Hey, man, I'm interested in maybe investing in a team and just kind of seeing how the business works. And mm-hmm. And again, like I was I was looking for something that, that I would be passionate about that I wanted to get into. And, you know, I like hockey. I've always been a hockey fan and, you know, maybe I'd be interested in running a hockey team or being involved in a hockey team. So he told me, basically we met up for lunch. He's like, man, don't do it. You don't want nothing to do with it. This business is terrible. Don't, you know, do anything else. Just go do anything else besides this. Okay, cool. Well, I took the advice and that was it. I didn't think about it again. And then one night it's a Friday night, the commissioner of the SBHL calls me out of the blue. I don't even know who he is. I answered the phone and normally I don't answer calls that I don't recognize the number. And he's like, Hey, is this Chuck Norris? Yeah. Hey, uh, this is, you know, 
such and such from the Southern pro league on the commissioner league. And I'm like, wow, like yeah. what's up? Yeah. And he told me, he said, I heard you might be interested in buying a team. And I said, well, maybe I, you know, and one thing leads to another. And, and, um, I decided to do a little due diligence. Well, I was doing due diligence with another guy that, mm -hmm. um, that knew the hockey business and had been involved in the hockey business. So based on his advice, I just asked him, Hey man, I know you know a lot about the hockey business. Can you consult for me or just tell me, you know, if it's a good idea or a bad idea. So we went down there, did some, um, did some investigative due diligence. Right. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, listen, man, I think this team could work. I think it could be really profitable. You'd have to do this, this, and this to make it, to make it do well. And, you know, I think you should do it. Okay. Well, so I was thinking about, it and he's like, I'd really like to be a part of it. So at this time, you know, it's a no brainer, right? Yeah. My partner, the guy that wants to be in the mix, see, he could run it. I don't know anything about it that first year, second year, whatever. I'll just kind of learn the business and try to figure it out. And, um, we, so we bought the team. And so I basically was, was set aside and it was like, he was going to run the team mm -hmm. and I was going to just be one of the owners, you know, yeah. and basically it was, uh, it was a 70, 30 deal. I was the majority owner, but I don't know anything about running a hockey team. So here's the keys, man, figure it out. Like yeah. I, I trusted this guy, I believed he knew what he was doing. And at the end of year one, I knew there was problems, you know, mm -hmm. obviously because Lene, which is my wife was, was our controller. And, you know, she was kind of expert, like, man, we're running low on money, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what is going on, man? But every time I would ask any questions, it was, oh, listen, man, I got this. I got this. And, you know, me being, I guess, kind of naive. And, yeah. Uh, I probably should have been more involved, but I was kind of just being pushed like, hey, don't don't get in the mix. I know what I'm doing. Just stay out of it. And man, at the end of the day, like we lost about three hundred thousand dollars in that first year. So um, pucker factor was yeah. at X max. Right. I was freaking out like, hey, man, that's a lot of money. And uh, basically, the my partner just took off on me uh -huh. like, oh, I don't want I can't do this, man. And I was like, wait a minute. Like we got half a million dollars, you know, three quarters of a million dollars tied up in this thing. What do you mean? You're, you're done. Like, where are you going? And so he quits, leaves me hanging with the team and man, you want to talk about freak out? Like, yeah, God, man, I have been successful at every business I've ever been in up until this point. And now you're throwing me into a business that I know absolutely nothing about. And listen, I have a saying going back from my poker days uh -huh. and it's in the saying is basically never hesitate to separate a fool from his money. Well, uh -huh. the, the meaning behind that is like sometimes you'll sit down at the poker table and you'll be playing with some guy that you know is terrible and he's a total donkey, but he's playing poker and like you should never take sympathy on the guy and not snap snap him off and take his money because he's stupid enough to put it out there. So you shouldn't hesitate to take his money because if you don't, somebody else will. And right. so the the way that makes sense in in this scenario is that I'm a fool. I put my money in there and that nobody's going to hesitate to take my money. You yeah. know? So now here I am with hundreds of thousands of dollars of my family's money. Now, keep in mind, now I've got a wife and three kids that, um, that I've got to provide for. And I've just invested a lot of money into this thing. And now I'm sitting in a really tough spot, man. So, um, partner takes off, lose it. He loses a couple hundred grand mm -hmm. and then, uh, leaves me with this thing. We owe everybody and their grandmother money. And I told Lene, I said, listen, we can fold this thing and I can pay some people off and walk away. And 
um, or I can run it. And here's where my pride things comes back in, right? I had done business in Fayetteville for 20 plus years. We owed people in Fayetteville. Like my reputation in Fayetteville was um, not everybody loved me, you know, Mm -hmm. like let's be honest. I'm I'm not always the most lovable guy in the party, but basically my, my reputation was, Hey, that guy, Chuck, is a good guy or that guy Chuck is an a-hole. But the reality is, is that Chuck doesn't owe anybody on the planet money. He does what he says he's going to do. So my reputation was that whatever I tell you, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. I'm never going to stiff you. I I pay my bills. I take care of people. So I didn't want to ruin my reputation, man. And so I owed basically $200,000 to local people in Fayetteville at the end of this thing. And so I told Lene, like, I'm going to have to go and run this thing. Like I've got to go and make a legitimate effort to try to figure this thing out. So, um, long story short, I took over the business. I was able to cut a lot of fluff and costs out of the business. So Mm -hmm. we had everything we needed in year one, nothing that we wanted, but everything we needed. And so, you know, you've got wants and needs and whatever we needed, that's what we had. We didn't get anything we wanted. So um, we were able to generate enough revenue to pay all our bills off and actually turn a very small profit in year one of my management. So, um, and listen, man, it it was the hardest year of my entire life, Rob. I'm not lying, man. It was absolutely brutal. And so here we are. We made it through year one. I told Lene if I could even make one single dollar, I would be ecstatic. And then I could reevaluate at that point. If we paid off everybody, we made one dollar, then I could decide if I wanted to get out of the business or what I was going to do. But um, I kind of figured it out. And then in year two, we were actually much, much more successful. We would have been on our way to, to profiting you know, several hundred thousand dollars. Unfortunately, COVID hit right there at the end of, um, in the middle of March and kind of crushed us. But up until that, man, we were still very profitable and the team did great. And, you know, it's just another thing of my pride and my, my word and my drive is what was enabling me to be able to succeed again, you know? So, um, it doesn't matter really what the business is. If you've got a, a sound business mind, then I think you can succeed in any business that you put in the time and the energy and the effort. And so, you know, I sacrificed, I certainly sacrificed a lot. I was in Fayetteville a lot, two and a half hours away from my wife and three young kids. And, you know, it was, again, it was the commitment that I made to invest the money. And now I'm, now I'm committed. I have to follow through. So I have to continue to work until the job is done. Right. Mm-hmm. And the job's not done until the team succeeds and we're profitable. I mean, yeah. it's just that simple. And so it was hard and it, it was, you know, I, it probably tested my intestinal fortitude to, to the most it's ever been tested, but, um, we were able to do it, you know, and, and quite honestly, I'm married to a saint and she's yeah. incredible and, and she's smart and she's beautiful and she helps me and she pushes me and man, without her, I don't know that I would have been able to do it, but you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I was, and you know, here we are and we're still in business. We're ready to go into our, our third year under my guidance. We've mm-hmm. missed the entire season because of, you know, coronavirus, yeah. like a lot of other people, but yeah, we're getting ready to go and we're selling and we're doing stuff for October start. And, uh, yeah, we're looking to make some money, man. So how was the team itself? The team was great. Yeah. And and one thing, one thing about, about the hockey business, a lot of people don't, don't realize this. Like I'm really in the entertainment business Mm -hmm. as as much as it's hockey and I love hockey. 
I don't really get to watch a lot of hockey, man. It's more about the business and, and the success of the business. And um, at the minor pro level, people are coming, you know, especially in North Carolina, man. Like you and I are Michigan guys, so we yeah. probably are big hockey fans. Um, in North Carolina, you know, people aren't really that much into hockey. It's more about they like to see some fights. They like to have some laughs. They like the beer. They like the atmosphere. They like to have something to go out and do. It's an event, you know, so we're putting on 28, 28 events a year. And, um, you know, it's my job to make sure those events are fun and mm -hmm. that even if you don't know hockey, you don't like hockey, you don't care about hockey, you still come to our event and you have a good time. So I'm in the entertainment business, but, um, I did hire, a really good kid, man. Probably the best employee I've ever had in my life. The, uh, the kid that I brought in uh, uh -huh. my first year, he was my first hire actually. And, um, he was an assistant coach in our league, made him a head coach. Kid was unbelievable. Um, helped me a lot with the business, but with the hockey operation part of the business, he was great, man. He, he put together a legit team two years in a row. Uh -huh. This past year, we had the best team in the league. I, I do believe we were going to win the championship. I mean, we were in first place. And, uh, man, we were awesome. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, and unfortunately for me, you know, success breeds, uh, you know, vultures flying around looking for your successful people. And being a single A pro sports, there's always the double A, triple A um, people looking at your talent, right? Yeah. So you develop the talent and then they swoop in and give take them more it. money and take them. So, um, Jesse moved up, he moved up to the ECHL, which is uh double a hockey and I'm happy for him. Yeah. It's great, but we put systems in place to where it's next man up mentality. So, um, Jesse's assistant coach was a player for us in year one. He became the assistant coach. So he had a whole year of assistant coaching and he moved right into the head coaching role and hopefully we don't miss a beat. Right. So, yeah. um, our assistant coaches slid into that role and, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what we've got come October, but a lot of guys have retired and moved on. So we'll see, yeah. we'll, we'll see where we are. I think we'll be, I think we'll be really competitive, but more importantly, and my, my coaches understand this. We have to have a successful business in order to have a hockey team. So yeah. hockey is fun and it's great for those guys as coaches because that's how they move up in their career. But they understand if our business isn't successful, we don't have a team, which means they don't have a job. There's only a hundred professional coaching jobs in North America. And these guys have one of them, you know, yeah. so um, they're rare jobs, man. And you want to do everything humanly possible to make sure that the business stays solvent in order to guarantee that you've got a job. Yeah. And so our guys are great, man. They, they work their butt off and they do a lot at, and at the single a level, you do more work for less money than any other level in pro sports or especially in pro hockey. So, um, yeah, kudos to them. They, they work hard. They do a great job. And, and, uh, that's just the culture that we have here, man. We work yeah. until, uh, till the job's done. Are you, uh, and everybody does it. Are you starting to enjoy it? I do enjoy it more now, yeah. now that the, that now that I'm more successful at it. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, last year I actually enjoyed a little bit of it towards the end of the season. I think the first half was stress, you know, cause you're always, you're always trying to get better, man. And, and for me, it's like, you always look at what you do good and you want to do great. And mm -hmm. then you look at things that you didn't do so good and you want to make them good. So yeah. Um, I'm always reevaluating and looking at what we're doing and looking at other ideas and watching other teams and seeing what they're doing. And, you know, again, it's, it's about my passion 
in business as a whole? And how do I become the most successful franchise in the Southern Professional Hockey League? Like, that's my goal. Yeah. And I think that probably when I achieve that, and I do believe I will get to that point, then I'll probably be looking to move to the next thing, man. And I, I don't know what that's going to be, but at that point, I'll sell the team for pretty good chunk. Yeah. And, you know, me and Lene will figure out what we're going to do after that. I mean, my, my real goal in life is to get to a point where my wife and I have a business together that we run together because I love working with her and yeah. she's a hard worker and um, she's worked for me in the past and she works for me in our family businesses now, but uh, she's great man, and I get along with her good and I know what I'm going to get from her and you know, I want to come up with something that her and I can do together and you know, it might be a couple of years down the line, but we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I've got that goal. I've got the same goal. Yeah, so it, I know and, uh, what team you can buy. Throwing it okay. out there right now. The, the Lions? The Detroit <laughs> Lions. So Man. you want a challenge? Oh my God. You could that turn would that be thing. the ultimate you could turn that would it. be the ultimate challenge, man. Holy smokes. The Ford family, like look, do, I, I know you probably know this, but a lot of your listeners probably don't realize this that the the Lions had an unbelievable team all the way into the, all the way through the fifties. I think they won I think they won four championships in the fifties. And then yep. the Ford family, the Ford Motor Company family, William Clay Ford, bought them in like fifty nine or sixty, and they've been perennial losers ever since. Yeah. So I would really like to see the Ford family sell the Lions or yeah. just do something, but I don't think they will, man, because I think that I think people like you and I and Detroiters, we um, we've embraced that they're terrible and we know they're always going to be terrible every single year. And we still buy their jerseys and their yep. sweatshirts and we go to games. And I don't know how many Thanksgiving Day games I've gone back to Michigan and gone to those games and watched them every year on Thanksgiving and watched them lose miserably a bunch of times. Yeah. I actually went to a game when they played. uh played um tom brady in the past and they got absolutely demolished <laughs> and uh man it's it's just it's it's the culture but it's also the norm you know i i don't know how i would act if they were ever good no because they haven't been good in my entire life they've been terrible they've never been truly contenders they've been pretenders from year one so yeah, yeah that would be a hell of a challenge man. Oh maybe God. we can talk the ford family into selling us the team and we'll go in there and sort this thing out man. that would be fantastic <laughs> it'll uh, only take us what about three billion dollars yeah, to buy it that's so, about it yeah. we just I'm need some angel investors yeah. Who doesn't yeah. want to invest in the Lions? We'll get Corey over at the CrossFit gym to chip in a yes. few bucks. I heard, I heard he's doing really well. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was funny. I, awesome. I ran into, um, it, I just happened, I was sitting, um, we were in Florida and Nicole was there for a work event. And, you know, I was the executive husband and I was sitting on the back, <laughs> Lanai, looking out at the ocean. And there was a family that was next to us and, I had seen him for a couple of days, and then the last day they walked up, and um, the guy had on a uh, Detroit Lions shirt. So I'm oh, like, oh, wow. wow, I'm going to talk Lions with this guy, you know? Yeah, so for sure. I got up, and I was like, hey, you know, Detroit. And the guy kind of stopped, and he was stunned for a, a second. Like, he's <laughs> like, somebody found me here. And so <laughs> I'm getting up, and I'm talking to him. But as I'm looking at him, my brain is clicking away. And finally yeah. I was like, I stopped and I was like, are you, are you Matt Patricia? And he's like, oh. he's like, yes. And I was like, oh, oh my God. 
was like, you're a saint, man. Um, oh. I, I had nothing but, yeah, I was like, it, it's not their fault. You know, everybody yeah. wants to blame no. them. Everybody wants to cut these coaches that come in there. And I yeah. was like, you, you can't run an organization when, when the, the back room isn't allowing you to. And, well, it's the uh, culture, right? Yeah. The, the culture, the culture is so bad for so long. I mean, like, look, I'm 51 years old and as long as I can remember, they've been awful. So the culture has been bad for at least 50 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, so how do you fix that? I mean, yeah. it starts from the top. And I think that, uh, at the end of the day, I know that, that there's one of the Ford, I think William Clay Ford's daughter maybe is running the team now. Mm -hmm. And I know that she's trying and hopefully she can sort it out, but yeah, it, it takes a long time, man, to change a 50 year culture of being losers. Right. right? So it's, uh, it's going to be tough, man. And you know, not the culture for the lions is so bad that it's difficult to, to attract any decent free agents to a team like that. And like, look, if you can't recruit players, you can't only build through the draft. You have to be yeah. able to recruit a few, a few pieces along the way in order to add, you know, and, um, it's important to, to have that. And if the culture is just perennial, losers like man it's it's uh it's gonna be difficult for them but right. it, they can do it I yeah mean, they can do it it's just gonna take time and you know people are gonna have to be patient and i know that we shoot man so we've I'm got 50 years patience. old right like holy smokes yeah, yeah i've been i've been really patient but they needed to turn that culture around you know 30 years ago man. yeah so i know we'll see we'll, we'll see, see. i'm, we'll I'm see. praying for them but i mean at least we've got the red wings turning their thing around yep. i mean they're pretty bad right now but i think they'll uh I think they'll, they'll get come it around. Out. Well, yeah. the Iser plan, right? We've got the Iser plan. So, yeah. and Stevie, I trust. I believe in Stevie Eiserman. I think he's an unbelievable executive. Look at what he did in Tampa, built yep. a powerhouse down there. So, he'll do it again for us in Detroit, man. So, we've got something to look forward to, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. I, hey, I appreciate you you spending the time. These have been uh, some fantastic stories. Uh, I really man. appreciate your time, man. Anytime, Rob. I know I know that I get off on these tangents and I kind of bounce around because my mind is always racing, but uh, it's difficult to keep up. But no, I, I appreciate it, man. And, and quite honestly, it's it's good to talk about things every once in a while. It just kind of helps you look back on your life and think, wow, man, like I, I've actually come quite a long way and I'm yeah. proud of it. And I'm, I'm uh you know, it, it makes me want to push myself even harder, but I certainly am proud of it. And if, if anything I can, you know, say about my life, help somebody have an epiphany about their life, then, you know, hey, I'm more more power to them and, and I'll, I'll do it every day. So, yeah, yeah man. man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cool. All right. Take care, buddy. Well, we'll see you soon, buddy. All Take right. care. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beyond Grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about it. You can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms, and be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care. <laughs>